Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and it's story time. Heck yeah, time to get back to the Pericles Conspiracy, which I hope you guys have been reading in the story bundle, the Visions of the Future story bundle, coming from storybundle.com, which, no, it's not a paid ad, it's just me pimping this bundle that I'm in, that my book is in, that several friends of mine are in, uh, you can go there and set your price and get anywhere from four to ten books, depending on how much you spend, and uh, from and have a great time reading. Ten books from all kinds of writers, most of whom are better than I am, and uh, one of them is actually an anthology full of like dozen writers or so with short stories that are awesome. And of course, uh, all that money goes. Uh, part of it goes to the story bundle people. The rest of it goes to us, us writers who contributed to it. And if you so choose, you can uh, opt to have some of that money go to a great, a great charity called the uh, Able Gamers, which helps disabled people be able to play games the way normally able people can, which is kind of cool. Uh, anyway, so this is the first story bundle I've ever participated in, though I've wanted to for a while, and it's going pretty well from what I've seen of the stats and and you know, with no other point of reference it seems like it's it's been pretty fun and a bunch of people are buying the bundles and hey it's pretty cool um certainly it's gonna be lucrative but also it's uh, just great to get out there in a different way to meet more readers and cool people like you and it's good to uh, actually be able to help expose you to people that I know who are, like I said, better writers than me, who have great stories that you can read that you may not have heard of before. So that's the reason why I'm pimping it. Uh, self-serving, but also good serving, because you, know, you guys will get some benefit of it too, as will the other writers who are involved in the bundle. So go check it out, storybundle.com slash sci-fi. And it's now through the end of February 27th, so a little bit more than a week. And yeah, about nine days left in it as of the 18th when i am recording this uh probably won't this video and podcast probably won't go up on the 18th probably tomorrow the 19th so regardless you got about a week so go check it out it'll be great right uh no other big news here on the pink kingswood writing abode front um uh, except uh, continuing on to do my short story week challenge it's now 44 weeks in a row that I've written a story and gotten it in on the deadline. Uh, eight more weeks, and I will have made the goal, crushed it, and felt good about uh, that doing doing that to get it back in the swing of things after a couple of really crappy years of writing. Um, like I talked about before, um, once I come finish up this challenge, I'll be uh, focusing more laser focus on the longer works that have been lingering out there that I need to finish for a long time but I haven't um, part of that was laziness a big part of it was just all kinds of funky 
life role stuff in 2017 and 2018. Really 2018 and yeah, 2017 and 2018. 2019 is when I started getting my feet back on me and now I'm fully uh, squared away and going to crush it. But first, I want to finish up this challenge because it's something I said I was going to do. Focus in on that to get that done and then crush it with the longer works and get a whole bunch of stuff out there for all you guys this year. Okay, so let's get back to reading this particular book. Pericles Conspiracy, last we left off at chapter 37. We had uh, been introduced to the grand scheme and we got everybody over to Brisbane and good old Australia. And uh, we'll see what happens there as we start with the planning process and get everything rolling into that big caper. See if they screw it up or not. So a couple more chapters here. I'll talk to you at the end and we'll go from there. Enjoy. Chapter 38. The Mole. Jervis was right. Joe fell in love with the mole immediately. Well, not really in love, but for a moment there, she was not sure. He was handsome enough, certainly. Young, tall, with striking features, darkly tanned skin, dark hair and eyes, and a dashing smile. But what made her heart swore was his clothing. He wore the uniform of a security guard and exactly matched those of the guards in the video Malcolm and Becky showed her, way back in Quito. Joe, Malcolm, Jervis said as the mole entered the little room, meet Winston. He is a member of the security detachment at the lab. Very pleased to meet you, Joe said, and smiled broadly. She had assumed her mole was an engineer or a scientist or maybe a technician. For him to be in the security there, this made their task so much easier. Hopefully. She could not help but let some of her optimism carry into her tone as she greeted him and shook his hand, and she cringed inwardly. Beside her, Malcolm smirked and merely said hello before shaking hands with the man. They sat down around a long conference table that dominated the room, Jervis at the head to Joe's left and Isaac at the other end, with her and Malcolm in the middle to Jervis's right. Winston waited for the rest of them to sit, then took a seat opposite Joe, moving with the ease of a man who keeps in good shape. Becky was not in this meeting, which Joe found surprising at first, but after thinking it over quickly, it made sense. She would not have known who this man was, and she did not need to know. Malcolm and Joe needed to know. They would be working with him, and Isaac... Well, Isaac could apparently know whatever he wanted. His status as the founder of CFL afforded him that, Joe supposed, even if he did not make use of it that much. The room was on the second floor, down the hallway and to the left from a control center that was very similar to Becky's in Quito, if not quite as robust and technically up-to-date. That made sense, too, since Brisbane was at best tertiary when it came to the monitoring and control of the Earth-Luna space sectors. All the same, for what it was, the control center was impressive, efficiently laid out, apparently well-maintained. Joe was beginning to suspect that more than a little of the funding Becky and Malcolm described came from Isaac's shell companies, as well as from any legitimate businesses that sought the CFL's help. A single control station of Quito's capability was one thing. If all the CFL sectors had command and control setups like Brisbane's, and Joe suspected they did, that would take a hell of a lot of money to establish and maintain, not to mention the bureaucratic know-how to make the required purchases without showing up on some agency's radar. It was pretty impressive. So, Joe looked from Winston to Jervis and raised her eyebrows. It was their show. Time to see what they had. Jervis smiled knowingly and gestured for Winston to proceed. The security guard cleared his throat and, inclining his head briefly toward Jervis, said, Activity has increased several-fold in the fortnight. 
The scientists are working three shifts. Word is there is massive pressure coming down from above to finish the current projects, and then we'll be shutting down altogether. In the meantime, they've nearly doubled the security force. He shook his head. Something's got them spooked. That checked with the chart. Chandini had to know there was a possibility they were going to blow the whistle on the whole thing or take more direct action. She and her superiors would be stupid to not get rid of the evidence as soon as possible. Joe was actually surprised, pleasantly surprised, that they had not already pulled shocks. How much time do we have? asked Malcolm. Winston shrugged. I'm not a techie. He frowned thoughtfully for a few seconds, then perked up. But I heard a couple of the senior engineers talking as they left a couple days ago. Sounded like they only thought they had a month, maybe a little bit more. Joe smiled. Perfect. That's all the time we need. Winston looked at her askance. Ma'am, this is a maximum security facility. We all have greater than top secret clearance. So do I. You do not look impressed. You did. You didn't specially flagged in the system, you know. Everybody in security knows your face on sight. He glanced at Malcolm and added, both of you. And even if they didn't, they've got cracked troops on security detail. If you think you can just walk up there without thorough planning, you got another thing coming. Ah, but we have an ace in the hole, Joe replied, giving Winston a sharp, meaningful look. He snorted. I'm just a guy who stands watch. I don't have authority over anyone but myself. He leaned forward and tapped his fingertip against the top of the table. Point is, you're going to have to plan this thing to the T. Even with my help. And even then, I wouldn't give greater than a 50-50 chance of getting in, getting your video, and getting out again without being caught. Video? Joe blinked and looked at Jervis. You didn't tell him? Jervis returned her look with one of annoyance. I've been with you this whole time. When was I supposed to tell him? Winston frowned in confusion. Tell me what? Joe sighed. We're not going in to get a video. She explained, and his jaw dropped. He remained silent for almost a full minute after she finished. She was about to lean over and shake him when he finally shook his head and spoke again. You are insane. Joe opened her mouth to speak, but he cut her off, standing and wagging a finger at her as he spoke. You're bloody bonkers. If you think... He trailed off and looked at her incredulously for a moment. Then he snorted and threw up his hands. To hell with this. I'm out of here. He turned toward the door and found Jervis blocking his way, his arms crossed over his chest. Where do you think you're going, mate? Away from her, Winston replied. I pass you information, not... He drew a deep breath and said more calmly, Look, I can't be involved in this sort of thing. I'm fucked if I do. Jervis scowled at him. You're fucked if you don't. But, no. Listen. Now it was Jervis who wagged a finger, right in Winston's face. You came to us, mate. Said what was going on in there was some fucked up shit. You said you wanted to help put a stop to it. Well, now's your chance. Bollocks. I meant getting the word out, not some loopy scheme to rob the place. Malcolm spoke up, his deep voice carrying easily across the room despite the fact that he barely spoke above a whisper. We tried that. It didn't work. There are no other options. Winston scowled and shook his head. No, fuck this. He moved to push back Jervis and then something happened. Joe couldn't see. It happened so quickly. One moment, Winston looked as though he was going to push Jervis aside and get through the door. The next, after confusing twisting of limbs that happened too quickly for her eye to follow... Jervis had him pinned face first against the wall, his arm pinned behind his back while Jervis grasped his throat in a chokehold. Winston's eyes went wide in shock, no less so than Joe's were, she was sure, and he made a little choking sound as he tried to speak. But Jervis talked over him, quietly, into his ear. You listen, mate, and listen well. You're tied to us. You're going to help with this. If you don't, if you betray us or do anything that hampers this operation, I will personally see to it that the authorities know exactly what you've been doing for us this last year, and about your other little side job, too. Winston's eyes widened even further in stark, naked fear. 
Are we clear? Winston nodded, or tried to, but it was clear enough. Jervis released him with a quick shove that sent him staggering back toward the chair he had abandoned. He caught himself from falling by placing both hands on the chair back and stood there, doubled over and breathing in deep gasps of air for a moment, his eyes darting between the four of them in fright. Joe was surprised to find that she was standing. A familiar tingling excitement swept through her, the byproduct of adrenaline she knew, and she had to force her arms not to tremble as she took hold of the table's edge. She leaned forward and looked at Winston in the eye. He met her gaze reluctantly, but her patented captain's stare held him once he did. I know this plan scares you, Winston, Joe said. Believe me when I tell you if there were any other way I would take it. But what Malcolm said is correct. The video you got out of there before is gone. The NSA took it. We have no evidence and no time to gather any more. If we're going to prevent the wholesale slaughter of these creatures, this is the only way. He was starting to get his breath back, and more importantly, she could see he was beginning to understand and accept. Help us, Winston. Please. Winston held her gaze for another long moment, then dropped his own gaze to the tabletop and nodded. Good. There was a chance that Jervis's strong-arm tactics would be enough to make him go along well enough. But there was also a large chance that Winston would find some subtle way to betray them that they would never know. Far better to use reason to convince him to give his help. Then he would go all in for the mission. Of course, it would have been better if Jervis had not jumped the gun and she could have convinced Winston straight off. They were back to amateur hour again, it seemed. Joe turned baleful eyes on Jervis, who did not even have the grace to acknowledge the unspoken rebuke. He just shrugged back at her and made a little get-on-with-it gesture. Joe had to stop herself from grinding her teeth. Chapter 39 Counting the Cost Are you sure about this, Joe? Joe turned toward Malcolm in surprise and quirked an eyebrow at him. It's a bit late to ask that question, don't you think? And it was late, in every sense of the word. They had spent a long afternoon and evening analyzing the layout of the lab, Camp Tycho, Winston had called it, and planning their incursion. Joe had not realized how bone-weary she was until Jervis at long last declared an end to the day and had an assistant lead her and Malcolm to their quarters. A pair of single bunk rooms in the rear corner of the building, one on either side of the hall from the other. The mere act of walking toward her bed suddenly allowed all the efforts of the day to fall upon her, and it was all she could do not to sink to the floor and fall asleep right then and there. But she made it back to her room. It was about to go in and flop down on her bed, and to hell with brushing her teeth or getting out of her clothes, when Malcolm asked the question. Malcolm smirked in amusement for a moment, then became all seriousness again. I'm serious. Have you really thought about what we're about to do? Her head hurt. Too much thinking for one day already. Yes, Malcolm, I've thought it through. That's all I've been doing for days now. Weeks. He shook his head. I don't mean planning. I mean thinking. He took a half step toward her. Think about what we're about to do. And I don't mean the fact that we're about to steal those eggs back. Joe rolled her eyes. And what do you mean? You studied the star map their captain gave us. Their system is 263 light years away. If we're successful and get the eggs aboard Agrippa and then manage to get underway and out of the solar system, he shook his head. Even taking time dilation into account, we're talking about a 70-year trip, give or take. One way. Yeah. No one's ever been in cryosuspension that long. They've never even done tests for that long a suspension. Even if all goes well, he pursed his lips. On the trip from Gliese to Earth, the passengers are in suspension for about eight years and age about six months. On this trip, we'll age almost six years. Joe snorted. Six years is nothing. Malcolm raised an eyebrow. She sighed and nodded. She opened her mouth, but Malcolm beat her to it. 
and that's even assuming we wake up at all. How much life does Agrippa's reactor have left? Can it even remain hot for 70 more years? That's not an issue, Joe said. I checked. Agrippa is one of the newest fusion drive ships. They burn a lot more efficiently than the plant we had on Pericles. She should be good for as long as we need. Markham nodded, conceding the point. Fine. But there are still other potential problems. I operated one of those new plants once a few years ago. They're highly automated, but it's much different from what I'm used to. Even if I can make it work, what if... So look up the tech manuals and study up. They're not classified or anything. She drew a deep breath to try to dampen the annoyance his questions were beginning to evoke. Look, Malcolm, I know the risks. What would you suggest? We just put the eggs aboard and send it burning off on automatic? Hope the aliens find it and figure out what to do with it? She shook her head. That's just silly. It'll be on automatic most of the trip anyway. Except for the most important part, contact. We need to be there to explain what's happened, to apologize. Even if it means not coming back? We won't have fuel for the return trip. If they're unable or unwilling to refuel us, we'll be stuck there forever. He shivered slightly, and Joe was tempted to do the same. Are you really willing to take that risk? That thought had crossed Joe's mind once or twice, and it terrified her. To live out the rest of her days, and there would not be very many of them, so far away from anyone and anything familiar. To die alone, maybe at the hands of the very beings she was trying to do right by. It was not something she wanted to even think about. But Malcolm was right. It was a very real possibility. But what was she supposed to do? Shrink away from that possibility? Maybe if there was another alternative. But there was not. Joe had to believe that these beings, advanced as they were, were as honorable as they appeared during their brief meeting aboard Pericles, and they would see that she, that they, were trying to do the right thing and treat them accordingly. And even if they did not, it would be worth it to prevent an even worse impression when they eventually learned the truth of what humanity had done to their babies. As for the rest, she would have to deal with those issues when they came up. Joe nodded. It's not an unreasonable risk to take, considering the circumstances. Malcolm just looked at her for a moment, staring her straight in the eye. Joe felt a rush of warmth and had to work hard to keep from flushing at his direct, frank gaze and his subtle, musky smell. He had not looked at her like that since... No, she was not going back to that again. She squared her shoulders and forced that bit of excitement down firmly, beneath a mantle of professionalism. Or at least she tried to. But tired as she was, it was more difficult to do than she would have thought. Finally, Malcolm said, You are remarkable, Joe. Do you know that? She realized she was smiling, and she hoped not too girlishly. So I've been told. She snorted out a half-laugh. Remarkably stupid. Malcolm laughed as well, and then, before she realized it was happening, he was holding her tightly, but gently. His mouth pressed against hers, and she surprised herself by returning the kiss fiercely. Time seemed to stop until finally, with the regret that she felt down to her bones, she pushed him back to arm's reach. Malcolm drew a deep breath. Joe noticed he was shaking. For that matter, she was rather breathless herself. I missed doing that, Malcolm said softly. Joe nodded. Not so deep down inside, she had missed it too, but it was simply not feasible with them on different ships. And then he got transferred onto her ship and became inappropriate. They had both been adults, put it behind them, but apparently not that far behind. It's the stress. You're just clinging to the familiar as a coping mechanism. Joe suppressed the thought, but it rang true enough that she could not ignore it completely. Now was not the time for this. Maybe later, after they had put this business behind them and had time to actually think, to feel, without the threat of the gallows hanging over their shoulders. Get some rest, Malcolm, she said. It's going to be a long day tomorrow. He nodded agreement, but she saw regret and need 
in his eyes, and for a moment she thought he might try to kiss her again. She was not sure how she would react to that. Instead, he turned and walked into his room. The click of the door's latch snapping into place seemed to ring with a note of finality that made Joe's heart sink. Okay, two more chapters down. Next is chapter 40 out of 63. So about two-thirds of the way through the book now, and hopefully uh, you guys are liking it. Obviously, you're still here, so you do. Woohoo! Um, well, let's see. So what have we got? Uh, some planning, uh, the mole, uh, and, you know, the whole counting the cost thing. That was something when I put in there. I thought it was important to talk about that because, obviously, they would. All right, this is... Uh, something when I wrote this story uh, I've told you before I initially wrote the passing in the night which is the tale of their first an actual encounter with the aliens then I wrote the Paris police conspiracy as a novel to follow up on it and um, one thing I did with passing was I tried to keep it as consistent with what we know of physics now as possible and <laughs> also uh, when I wrote it I was just kind of getting out some of my own personal angst about uh, spaceship design because I had uh, now I'm a nuclear submariner know how nuclear reactors work and a whole bunch of people were like oh you can put a nuclear reactor on a spaceship because it weighs too much because of shielding and I was like no no you don't need shielding on a reactor on a nuclear reactor in a spaceship do you know why because spaceship doesn't have to be streamlined you can put it the reactor way the hell back aft and you can have it like a kilometer behind you with just a pole attached to the reactor <laughs> right and then you have the engines and the reactor a kilometer or more behind the ship have it be pushing the ship when the crude section of the ship be way the hell away and then you no need shielding because radiation dose is either you know time distance shielding you can either not be around for very long you can be a long ways away or shielding and radiation flux goes down as a square as the inverse square of the distance from the source. So if you got a big old nuclear reactor and it's generating a lot of lot of radiation, like let's say, I don't know, ten thousand rem per hour, enough to fry you completely, right, right there. But you put it a kilometer away from you, you won't even notice it. You'll get no dose, like zero, or might as well be zero, like you know, less than background radiation on the Earth. And you're on space. You're getting more than that. Because you're out in space. You know, things like that. The people who um, poo-poo certain spaceship design elements because they don't really think about them. And so when, when I wrote Passing the Night, I was just saying, how would I design a starship and with my engineering stuff? And, you know, so the first part of that story is very much a, here's how the ship's laid out. And do, do, do and reading it through it now, it's like, all right, that's a little clunky. I still like it, though, because it's mine. But anyway... But I still wanted to maintain least, you know, verisimilitude and staying close to physics as we know it now. So, obviously we don't have a thing like cryosuspension now. Who knows? We may someday, we may not. But, uh, but I actually went in my old modern physics book and looked up the uh, relativity equations and computed the time dilation effect for... 95% of the speed of light and, and computed the time distance stuff for all this stuff see how long it would actually be for the people on this ship as they're going, the speeds they're going 
And I was like, yeah, 260 light years. Oh, that's 70, 70 years. Right. Um, yeah. Um, that's a long time and a long time to run a reactor. Now the way it would work was you would accelerate. I did this math too. You accelerate at one G for a year and you get to 95% of the speed of light plus or minus a little bit, but you know, close enough. Right. So, so the first year you burn a lot of fuel and then the next 69 years, you're not building, burning a lot because you're just maintaining the reactor power at, you know, self-sustaining, maintaining the stat the ship basically. And with no passengers and, you know, just, you know, what, two or three people, Joe and Malcolm, and maybe a couple others, depending, um, you know, don't need much in terms of life support. Um, so really, you can shut down a lot of systems and maintain pretty low power level through that whole time. But still, that's <laughs> still a long time, right? So you, that's, not an incon that's not a small thing to consider. Um, and then there's the whole just, you know, being gone for that long. Even if your reactor's working right. Uh, you're gone for 70 years. One way. Come back. You're 150 years later. Now Joe had been experiencing this sort of thing with her trips, you know, uh, to Gliese and back is 40 years, but 40 Earth years, not 40 years that she experienced. But still, she was there when there with other people that she knew, her crew, and she made some content, continuity. Not doing that. It's a whole different thing. And then there's, of course, the whole, like Malcolm brought up, hey, they we don't have any fuel. To, we don't have fuel when we get there were they gonna be able to refuel us will they be willing to refuel us what if they just shoot us down all kinds of stuff to think about so i really wanted to put that thought process in um because they would think about this and say is this worth doing i don't know um and i thought it was a fascinating discussion to have above and beyond that realistic thing if that's what people would talk about when they're deciding to do this or not so i thought all those things were interesting to discuss so that's why I put that in there. And, and it had a cool character moment with her and Malcolm. So anyway, that's that. Okay, so don't forget, check out the Story Bundle, Visions of the Future, uh, storybundle.com slash sci-fi from now till the 27th of February 2020. Ten books, including mine, and you can set your price. Go check it out. Lots of great writers there. Um Aside from that, if you don't want to do that, come back next week and uh, we'll do some more chapters. Uh, yeah, that's it. Swim by my website, say hi, michaelkingswood.com, and uh, let me know what you think. Subscribe, like, tell all your buddies. I'll see you next week. Till then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs> <laughs>